0: Kia I'm Sarah Robson and today on The Detail, it's been another week in politics. But there was one story that really got everyone riled up. Medically Indefensible is how Auckland surgeons are seeing equity adjuster scores being used to determine who goes under the knife first. The scores are being used to promote Māori and Pasifika patients to the top of the list, leaving New Zealand Pākehā and other patients like Indian and Chinese being left to wait. And to talk about that, I'm joined by Newsroom's political editor, Joe Moya. Kia ora, jo. How are you? Kia ora, Sarah. Very good, thank you. Right, so health inequities, let's go back to Monday and how we have ended up talking about this issue this week.
1: Yeah, so on Monday we had this story that came out through, it was a News Talk ZB story, but was also across the New Zealand Herald. And it was pointing out that there was now a system in place in Auckland across hospitals there where ethnicity was being used as a measure uh, to decide waiting lists. Now, this, of course... uh, unsurprisingly, kicked off a lot of response and feedback. The opposition says it's outright racism. Well, it's pretty simple. Race shouldn't play any part in surgical need and determining surgical need, and that's our position. We've got a government that is actually actively promoting racial discrimination now, and it's got to stop.
0: The Prime Minister said clinical need will always come
1: first, but the equity tool is merely writing past wrongs when it comes to inequity. There was... I I would argue a little bit of information missing in terms of how much ethnicity actually features as part of the process for deciding waiting lists and also the fact that it's only specific to routine elective surgeries and, of course, nothing's either semi-urgent or urgent. But anyway, we ended up in this conversation in Parliament where you had the Labour government explaining that we've had inequities in the health system for a long time. Well, the facts are pretty clear at the moment. If you're Māori, Pacific, in a rural community or from a lower economic, lower income background you have been waiting longer with the same clinical need compared to other New Zealanders. And that this is one way that medical professionals are attempting to sort of try and sort out some of those problems. And then, of course, you had the opposition in particular, Act Leader David Seymour and uh, National Party Leader Christopher Luxon saying there is no room, no place, no time at all ever that you should have ethnicity as a measure when it comes to deciding who gets priority on a waiting list. Talking about ranking people's access to healthcare on the basis of their ethnicity, not their need. And that's what this big issue is about. And that's what Kiwis think is unfair. I mean, you two New Zealanders living on the same street, same situation, same conditions, treated differently because of ethnicity. So it really sort of set things off here at Parliament this week. We'll get into the politics of all of this
0: a bit later on, but let's maybe start by setting the scene. We know there are long-standing inequities in the health system when it comes to Māori and Pacifica. You know, there's a seven-year gap between life expectancy between Māori and non-Māori. Um, Māori are twice as likely to die from cardiovascular disease or heart failure, one and a half times more likely to die from stroke or cancer. We know these inequities exist, don't we?
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't need to go far to find them and you don't need to stay long to hear a lot of them. It's confronting and it's challenging, but we cannot uh, ignore the statistics which clearly show, and there's lots of statistics, that Maori and Pacific peoples do not get the same access to care. They're not referred at the same level, they don't get put forward for surgery at the same level, and when they're on the waiting list, They end up disproportionately on the long waiter list. This is just so well established within the health system. And it's just public knowledge. I mean, I don't think there are many New Zealanders who don't appreciate that when it comes to negative health statistics, Maori and Pacifica are overwhelmingly represented on the negative side of those statistics. There is research papers, there's raw data, there are books, there are specialists Uh, you know, leaders out there who will tell you this time and time again. And there's also a lot of really, really good journalism out there that has been done about it too. So this is um, no great surprise, no great mystery to anyone, I would argue.
0: So when it comes to this story and
1: the issue around
0: prioritising people on wait lists, what do we know about the state of the waiting lists in the hospitals where this priority tool was being used? Presumably, they, they like many things, those wait lists blew out in the aftermath of, of COVID-19 lockdowns.
1: That's right. So, I mean, in terms of wait lists, you've got uh, backlogs now, you know, record lengths in terms of those backlogs. Uh, I think one of the latest figures I saw was over 90,000 people overdue for treatment or a a specialist appointment. So um, obviously COVID has played a massive part in that. The COVID pandemic has delayed elective surgeries nationwide and some hospital bosses tell One News it'll take more than a year to clear the backlog. Now, I just want to reiterate again, we are talking here when we're talking about um, the algorithm and the way that things are prioritised using ethnicity, we're very much just talking about elective routine surgeries, nothing um, semi-urgent, nothing urgent. So, I mean, the backlogs are huge because operating theatres effectively shut down for quite a time for elective surgeries during that COVID period for obvious reasons when the health system was getting hammered and they just wanted to concentrate on the really urgent stuff. So you've now got a situation where the current position um, from health officials is that while improvements are starting to happen in terms of those wait lists, you've still got a long way to go before you'll see dramatic reductions of those numbers. And waitless times, according to these health officials, um, won't actually kind of really reduce properly until at least 2025. So Heck. another two years away yet.
0: So talk me through what has been happening in Auckland in terms of prioritising those people on the wait list for those elective surgeries?
1: Let's let's go back to COVID, right? So you had the situation where eventually operating theatres were opening up again for elective routine surgeries. Now, you had medical professionals in Auckland, where, of course, you know, the largest population is. It's also a very large Maori and Pacific population as well. And you had medical professionals who really kind of went, wow, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to really attempt to reset the way that the health system works and operates. We'd already seen through COVID that uh, Māori and Pacifica were needing to be and rightly were prioritised at times around things like vaccination and access to vaccination as a result of those overwhelming negative statistics we've talked about across health. So you had uh, a group of medical professionals who together work on how prioritisation will take place in the health system, specifically in Auckland in this case, um, decide that basically they would take the opportunity to reprioritise and try and deal with some of these long-standing inequities. So in Auckland, uh, you had this team devise a new system whereby, again, only for routine elective surgeries. Uh, there would be two criteria. The first, clinical need. Now that is always the first, will always be the first and will always take precedent. How sick someone is is always going to be the the biggest decider in terms of whether you get surgery or not. The other criteria they were using um, when operating theatres first opened back up during the pandemic was ethnicity. So you only had those two criteria, right? Now... Some clinicians, who of course are the next step down from that, who are the ones making the overall assessments and deciding um, you know, who gets uh, to have surgery and who doesn't, were a little bit concerned that that was too blunt a tool and that it didn't really take um, the whole picture into account. And so the feedback that they gave to the team that was uh, working on this was that they wanted to see a tool that had uh, at least two more criteria as part of it, which is geographical location, because of course you want to take into consideration rural and isolated communities who we know also have... Way worse access when it comes to healthcare, um, and they also wanted social deprivation to be taken into account. Now, of course, that's low-income families um, who, you know, come from all sorts of ethnicities, um, who they wanted to, uh, to reach as well. So that that brings the criteria sort of up to four things that they wanted to be looking at.
0: And this is presumably how this algorithms that we've been talking about this week came about with those additional factors. What do we know about how how that was created and how it works?
1: Yeah, so that feedback was received and and understood and appreciated. And by this point, the the group in Auckland who were working on this decided that they would look to roll out a an algorithm that I guess was uh, broader and took more things into consideration, but fundamentally kept that ethnicity element um, as a measure. So this group put together, and in February this year rolled out in two hospitals in Auckland, bearing in mind there are some specialist departments in other hospitals in the country that also use it. Um, but yeah, they put together this this new uh, equity order, this new algorithm. So that's the new algorithm that has existed from February. But it's kind of interesting that this whole discussion has come up this week because actually, <laughs> ethnicity has been used um, for years now. Mm. And in reality, the new algorithm takes more stuff into account um, than just ethnicity. So it's actually kind of been watered down a little bit, I guess you could say.
0: Now, you spoke to Te Toka to my surgical services manager, Duncan Bliss, this week about, about this issue and wrote a really interesting piece for Newsroom on that. What did he tell you about the need for tools like this in, in the health system?
1: It was fascinating talking to Duncan Bliss for a lot of reasons, um, probably the main reason being that he is one of the members of that team who actually worked on this algorithm. He is a surgical services manager, has worked in health for a long time and has a good understanding of the stuff. and As a journalist, you don't often get to talk to the people who are really there kind of at the forefront of this. You often get the spokespeople. So to have a conversation with Duncan, who could actually tell me exactly why this group had decided that they needed this algorithm and why ethnicity mattered, um, was fascinating and quite revealing. The short story from him is that there is just no arguing that what ethnicity you are has an impact on what sort of healthcare you get in New Zealand, and that Every single piece of data that they collect across the health system, of which you can imagine there is a lot, tells them the same story, that Māori and Pacifica are overwhelmingly not getting access or not getting priority when they should, for a whole lot of reasons. Um, Systemic racism within the system, of course, comes into that. Um, There's plenty of issues for why um, they're pretty well documented. But at the end of the day, um, you have Māori and Pacifica who are really behind when it comes to accessing clinical treatment and accessing surgery, so far behind that when you look at the percentage of the population they make up and you look at the percentage they make up on the wait list, they are just so far away from each other. It's, it's a bit crazy. So Duncan's view was that this was necessary. It was an opportunity to do it in every Everyone agreed with it and, you know, they took on that feedback from the clinicians that it was too blunt and they worked with it and they produced something that clinicians are actually now really happy with and happy to use. And like I say, other specialist departments across the country are also using it. Now, I'm not going to say that every clinician would agree with it because there is no perfect system. And I think it's worth pointing out too that Duncan Bliss also mentioned that the tool itself is still quite blunt as well and you actually still need to have clinicians make decisions at that next step down, at that service level, because are the ones who are meeting the patients understand, you know, what the patients need, their backstory, you know, what they've been through, et cetera. So, you know, there will be instances where the algorithm will not necessarily work perfectly, and so you've still got clinicians who will ultimately um, make decisions. I also think it's worth pointing out, too, that there are some specialist departments where the tool just doesn't work. So take neurology, for example, the only two things that matter when it comes to neurology is the patient's clinical need and how long they've been waiting. Social deprivation and where they live and their ethnicity just do not come into play when it's a, when you're talking about neurology. So this tool is can be used a lot, but it can't be used all the time. And it's not
0: like it's being used. Your um, stats sort of inputted, a result spat out. As you say, there is that additional layer of clinical oversight and, and human decision making. It's not all going through this algorithm and it being sort of blindly used
1: well, exactly. And I mean, the other thing worth noting too is um, funny talking to Duncan, who's, you know, embedded in the health system, and, you know, me, a person who's embedded in the press gallery, and and a political uh, reporter, (laughs) and the sort of conversations we were having with each other, coming at it from different angles, and um, you know, and I said to him, I was like, well, you know, did you take into consideration how this would be received? And, you know, have you been surprised by the backlash that's come from this? And, And his response to me was, well, we haven't looked at it from race, or whether it might be controversial. It was based on data. He was like, you know, we come at these things from a health perspective. We don't come at it from a political one. And, you know, not using the word ethnicity because it's sort of too political, he says, doesn't feel right when you're talking about health. So I think that's kind of an interesting point to note as well. Yeah.
0: well, That segues quite nicely into the political response to this What has happened um, since this story broke on Monday in terms of the government's response and what
1: particularly Chris Hipkins uh, has said? Yeah, so when this story broke, Prime Minister Chris Hipkins got asked about it, obviously, in his his weekly post-Cabinet press conference on Monday. And he announced that he had actually asked the Health Minister, Aisha Viral, to go and have a look at this tool. To make sure that there is a reassurance um, that we're not replacing one form of discrimination with another. Um, Actually, this is about making sure that everybody is treated equally and a recognition that at the moment they haven't been. She's looking at that now. We've spoken to Aisha Varel over the course of this week. And interestingly, she is very convinced that the tool is doing what it should be doing and is there for a good reason. Now, bear in mind, Aisha Varel herself is a medical professional, and spent a lot of time in the system. She's very passionate about resolving some of these inequities and she's very, very passionate about the fact that medical professionals and clinicians are best placed to make decisions about how this should work and it's not for bureaucrats in Wellington to be deciding. She's also already had conversations though. I mean when I spoke with Duncan Bliss this week he said that he'd met with her a few weeks ago and talked about the tool and she'd sort of asked questions about it and stuff. So it's not as if this has fallen out of the sky and everyone's gone gosh what's happening here we never knew that existed. So that's sort of a continuing work in progress as to what comes out of that. In the meantime, Chris Hipkins has said that any planned national rollout of the tool is kind of being put on hold, you know, it's been paused, which is kind of interesting in itself because if you've got the health minister and you've got medical professionals and clinicians saying, you know, this is a really good answer to a really, really terrible problem, for the prime minister to sort of go, mm, I think we should, you know, halt this, Well, what's the motivation for that? Yeah, Presumably, um, you know, opposition from the other side of the House and some public criticism. But it's an interesting and, um, you know, potentially dangerous space to get into if the government and politicians are going to get involved in that, I guess.
0: Well, what has the response been from opposition parties, both national and ACT? Bearing in mind that we are coming up to an election in October, so that kind of adds another layer to all of this, doesn't it?
1: Oh, and it totally does. And, you know, you've had, unsurprisingly, ACT leader and National Party leader, um, David Samuel and Chris Luxon, come out and say there's just no space, no place for um, ethnicity when it comes to the health system. We have a government that is actively promoting racial discrimination. I would add that both in the House and in press conferences this week, there has been a little bit missing from the words that they have used. You had a stream of questions asked um, of the Prime Minister in the House by ACT Party MPs this week, where every question was prefaced with...
0: Is it acceptable to him that as a Māori woman I could be placed higher on a surgical waitlist than someone of a different ethnicity... Is it acceptable to him that my Cambodian husband could be placed lower on a surgical waitlist than me, even if our clinical needs
1: are the same? Now, that's not actually what this tool is doing, because clinical need is always coming first. So it's not entirely honest to be, Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, summing it up in that way. And I get that in Parliament you have to be succinct sometimes. But in terms of Christopher Luxon, he has done a number of interviews on it this week. And has said that he doesn't think that the health system, as it has operated for decades and decades, has systemic racism or discriminates against Maori and Pacifica. I don't accept that. I think you know really when you look at what drives uh, people's access to healthcare, it's got to be their need, which is um is interesting. Mm. Quite a lot of research and data out there that would disagree with him. So yeah, pretty bold statement and an interesting place for him to go because ACT is obviously going to go there. Yeah, and you know we've talked a lot in recent weeks about the sort of vote that National needs to look for if they want to be the government. And some of those voters, they need a pullback that went to Labour in 2020. To me, it was intriguing that Chris Luxon kind of went so firm on that because I think that there is definitely a voter base that he is trying to attract who will not agree with what he has said because like there literally is just a whole tonne of evidence that says he's wrong.
0: Some of, um, of National's argument this week has sort of appeared to be around, well, to, to deal with that, you need to deal with these other social problems that are at the root of
1: this. There's been a lot of talk about poverty and social deprivation being the issue and it not being about ethnicity. That I want improved outcomes for Maori and non-Maori, but I think a lot of the drivers of why Maori and Pacifica uh, outcomes are poorer, uh, health outcomes are poorer, is be often because of social deprivation and, and those drivers. The interesting thing about that argument is that poverty and social deprivation are kind of these big hard things to tackle, right? They're kind of huge and they bring in so many factors and require so much sort of shift and change across um, so many parts of the the government system and, um, you know, services and, and all the rest of it. And then you've got a health system which is far more contained than an issue like poverty or social deprivation and you can kind of, like, move levers and you can make change in the health system Ultimately, makes kind of fast change. I'm not going to say fast because it <laughs> can be quite slow. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I don't know that you can actually make the argument that you want to deal with the social deprivation and the poverty to fix inequities for Māori and Pacifica without actually needing to deal with the health system, which is one of those really much easier sort of tangible things that has all these levers where you can actually effect change you can't you can't fix poverty without fixing the health system like they are just linked that's just the reality Is this a taste of what's to come
0: in terms of the election campaign and, I guess, um, a focus on race and ethnicity being sort of a factor in the debate? Where where do we go in terms of this algorithm and, and dealing with those inequities in the health system? Big question, I know, but have a crack.
1: Yeah, great. Thanks for that, Sarah. Um, (laughs) Look, in terms of the algorithm, I think that it will just kind of sit there and be used by those specialist departments that still want to use it and nothing much will kind of come as a result of it. I don't think there will be any sort of national rollout. I mean, I think Chris Hipkins has realised it's probably not worth the fight in terms of the election being only a few months away now. Exactly.
0: Definitely not before the election.
1: No, and so it will just sit there and a big number of clinicians who believe in it will continue to use it and people will eventually forget about it, I guess. And then potentially, if there's a change of government, it it might all change up again. Who knows? I think more broadly, though, race and ethnicity and uh, culture wars and and all of this sort of stuff that is really sort of divisive and, you know... (laughs) It's real, I mean, it used to be stuff that was kind of described as like water cooler talking points, but it's actually gone beyond that. It's actually kind of like a really ugly debate. Mm. And it has been an ugly debate for a number of years, but I think increasingly more so in more recent years, particularly, I would say, since uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Personally, I, I think that's really depressing, and I also think it's quite dangerous and I don't think politicians necessarily want to be having that debate. In an ideal world, we would all just live happily together and it wouldn't be an issue. But, you know, it's politics and there are certain politicians who are going to jump on something that they see as, you know, a trigger point for people. And increasingly, uh, issues of, of race and ethnicity do seem to be trigger points, as sad as that is. And that's just kind of the way it is. So it's gonna be a tough few months ahead, I think, on the campaign for a lot of people. And yeah, that's a very depressing note to end on. But there you go.
0: Oh Joe, thank you so much for your time. It is going to be a fascinating next few months, as you say, but that is All we've got time for On The Detail today. I'm Sarah Robson. The Detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and it was produced by Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks, of course, to Newsroom's political editor, Joe Moyer. Thank you for having me. Ka te anō.